Hello and welcome to the Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine, the Medical Education Transformation Podcast. Today's discussion is going to highlight the personal impact of burnout and the process for overcoming uh, burnout. I am joined today by Dr. Zafar Shamoon. Uh, Dr. Shamoon, thank you so much for being here with me today. Oh, it's an honor and thank you for having me. So can you tell us a, a little bit about your journey in, you know, medical school residency and then how, how that, um, your personal impact of burnout, what, when you started noticing it and, and how it really impacts. So in other words, let's, let's share your story. Yeah. So, well, thank you um, for allowing me to share my story. I, I hopefully helped somebody down the road. But basically, you know, I graduated medical school in 2003, went to ER residency in 2007 in Detroit area, went to Michigan State undergrad and med school. So, you know, very proud of uh, that. It's kind of like my dream school um, for undergrad and med school. So everything was going good, became an ER residency, um, went to ER medicine because I just loved ER, um, the background of emergency medicine. It's like, you know, patient comes in, it's almost like a puzzle you have to start from the beginning and try to figure out the pieces to get where you need to go. And that really attracted me to that discipline of medicine, but also it's like the only discipline that can see everything. It's the only from birth to death and you never know what's going to come through the door. So all those things really inspired me to go to emergency medicine. But with that comes a lot of, you know, shift changes, you know, sometimes you're working nights, sometimes you're working days, but also you see a lot of bad things sometimes. And you see a lot of, um, uh, high stress situations where you have to do things quickly. And so that probably got to me a little bit as I graduated. Um, and then when I went on to become an attending, um, you know, I, I did really well in school with my board scores and my exam scores. So I think there was a little arrogance on my part that I kind of knew it all. Um, I think that attributed to it. I went to New York because my wife was a physician as well. And then we did her training out there. And so when I went to New York, I came with an attitude that, you know, I came from Detroit. I kind of know a lot of ER medicine. And, and the reality of it is you're learning every day. And I had some cases that were very difficult. Um, and I was away from my family. And I only knew Detroit. And then sure, sure enough, um, you know, suddenly my dad passed away. My dad was very close to me. And when I moved back to Michigan to be with my mom, just to help her during the grieving process, help her with the, you know, my dad's death. It's at that point, I realized I was burnt out and I really didn't want to, you know, go back to medicine, to be honest with you. Wasn't really seeing my wife, wasn't really seeing, um, you know, wasn't really satisfied in the care I was providing. I got a lot of patient complaints because there was a little arrogance, as you know, as I mentioned, that I think the patients were even picking up on. So all these things, I think, kind of factored. I think the, with my dad dying, it was kind of like a, a straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. So you, you said that when you came home and you were, you, you realized that you were burned out, what were your signs that you were burned out? That's a great question. I think the biggest one was, I just didn't have the energy. Number one, that I didn't drive for me. To me, that was a, a very uh, late sign, um, but an important sign because I'm, I'm always kind of well known as the high energy guy that never sits down, always on a go. 
um, wanting to see the next patient, sees a lot of patients, has fun at work, jokes around. I just didn't have that anymore in me. And I think that was for me, the most telling sign. Um, I think other things like, you know, lack of empathy for sure was one of them. Callous attitude, I think toward maybe my uh, patients, uh, the arrogance that I mentioned a little bit. Um, you know, for me physically also, there were signs, you know, I'd gained some weight. I had started eating very poorly. I started sleeping less. Um, I started becoming a little bit more temperamental with not only my, uh, you know, with our relationship with my wife, but I think also with my patients and my staff. And, but when I look back, those were the signs that stood out. I'm sure there were more. And it wasn't until I got some help that I talked to somebody that I realized that, you know, that I had these signs. You know, it's funny. People say, you know, I ask like what kind of signs you had. You don't really realize it until sometimes you end up talking to that, to a person that helps. And you're like, oh, well, you know what? I did have those signs. I just didn't realize it at the time. So part of my mission has been to help people recognize some of those signs early. So hopefully they can get help earlier and, or maybe recognize a colleague or a student or a nurse that may have the signs to help with them so they can get the help they need. You bring up a good point about talking to someone and, and you know, sharing what's going on. Um, but oftentimes in medicine, when we put on that white coat, we have that, you know, we have to be a superhero. We have to be strong. We can't admit or talk about when we are not well. Um, and I think that that's a big hurdle that we hear from students and residents and, and attendings that, you know, talk to somebody. No, I, I am the somebody that people talk to. So how do you, I, how do you break down that barrier? You know, that's a big, that was a big piece of it. You know, and to add to your point, I think there's, I think we all, not only do, is that expected of us from others, but I think we expect that out of ourselves, right? And I think that kind of makes it worse. So I, I didn't expect that I would get burnt out. You know, I just, I was like, you know, for maybe arrogance again, I, I'm, you know, above that. You know, people come to me, so I can't be the one burnt out, you know? So it's hard to overcome it because you feel like not only like you're letting yourself down, but you're letting the people around you down, whether it be a resident or a nurse or even a patient. And I think for me, that was the problem. And that's why, you know, I almost quit. I think the recognition of early signs and understanding that it's okay to get help and get rid of that stigma that, you know, you have some sort of, you know, this is going to be on your record or this is going to hold against you. I think that's very important to get rid of that because I can tell you personally, personally, someone that went from that, someone that went from quitting medicine basically to now I run one of the busiest ERs in the country. Um, and I'm also now the associate residency director. I don't think I would have ever got to this point without talking to someone. So I'm a perfect example that it can work and it does work. And it's, it's very important that to reach out to those folks if you get to my point, but it's also important to recognize the signs to maybe reach out and say, hey, listen, do you have any tactics that can even help me? And when I mean reach out to somebody, it doesn't have to be. So for me, it was the EAP program, assistance, uh, employee assistance program that I actually used to my wife. 
uh, with her residency. Um, so that helped me. I ended up talking to a psychologist. But sometimes it doesn't have to get to that point, right? You can talk to maybe a colleague, maybe talk to, if you're religious, to your priest or your um, imam or whoever, or maybe it's just talking to a relative. Maybe, maybe it's talking to, you know, a mentor that you had from years ago. It doesn't have to be a psychologist, but just they, that person, if they're good or if they're helpful, will give you some tactics. But only that, maybe help you recognize some of the signs that you may not know that you're already even having. And that's the big recognition point for me. And that's why I think for me sitting down with somebody was so instrumental. I mean, not only did it help my career, I mean, that's great, but more importantly for me, it helped me become a better person, I think, and more importantly, become a better husband. A question came in from somebody who's listening in that said, how did you discriminate the grief from the loss of your father from burnout, or did it matter in the need of, of seeking help, whether it was grief or burnout, you just recognized that you needed to find guidance? I think I need, I think it's the latter. I mean, I think I needed to recognize that I needed guidance. I think the biggest thing with me was, and this again was somebody that uh, helped me uh, understand this. It wasn't me. And you know, when you're at that point where I was, I think you don't understand things, right? You don't recognize things or maybe you don't want to think about it. But it wasn't until I sat down to somebody that made me realize that it wasn't just the, my father dying that, that, that I wanted to quit medicine. It was like, combination of things, right? I wasn't eating right. I wasn't sleeping well. I had somewhat of an arrogant attitude. I was short um, with my patients. I was not seeing my wife. We were literally like two shits passing in a night. And all these things played a factor into me, like um, just wanting to quit medicine. And so it wasn't just my father dying, but really that person that I talked to made me recognize that. So that itself helped me with the grieving process too, at the same time. And I will tell you that that point in my life was very difficult because I had spent so much energy and work and, you know, financially trying to get and become a physician. And all of a sudden now I just want to drop it. I didn't even know what I was going to do. You know, I, I had no idea. So this really saved my you know, a lot of aspects of my life, to be honest with you. In terms of, you know, there, there's, there's two, there's two points here that I want to make sure that, that we touch on. So we're going to take two different paths here momentarily. One is the next couple steps that you took to overcome the burnout. And then the next path that I want to talk about is in your role as assistant program director of a residency program, how do you instill this and prevent burnout? So let's first talk about, you said, you know, step one was you got to talk to somebody. You got, you, you have to, um, you know, have a relationship with somebody and talk to that. What do you do after that? You, you've now recognized it. Now, what do you do? Well, that's the hard part, right? Uh, you got to actually take action on some of the things you learned. And for me, you know, Maybe it was, a, I don't want to say it was easier, but I had to do it because, you know, I was really just for me, you know, wanted to get my marriage better and uh, aspects of my life better. So the steps that you have to take are really going to be the ones that you think are the ones that will benefit you the most. For me, the most immediate thing 
was reducing my hours because I was working a lot and I did it, you know, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I have to say it. I was doing it for financial reasons. Right. So I wanted to make a lot of money because I wanted, I was very poor growing up. You know, my dad uh, came from Pakistan. We grew up in Detroit, lived in like a very small apartment. My dad worked his way up the ladder, but I never saw like the things, you know, my kids are seeing out, you know, like I never had a phone. I never had a car, um, never had nice clothes. And now I wanted those things. So I wanted to work more hours. So for me, the first immediate step was I had to reduce my hours. And I was very fortunate. I worked in New York, upstate New York, and Rochester General Health Systems, where I had great mentors and leaders that not only were supportive of this situation, but understood that, you know, when I'm ready to come back, there'll be a spot for me to come back. That was very important. So I reduced my hours, number one. And in that time where I reduced my hours, I took myself, my physical um, ability, uh, well-being to get better. I started working out more, started eating better. And I also went back to some of the things that I loved that I gave up. So I gave up basketball for a while. And so I went to back to playing. That was very important to me. Um, I started getting a little bit more, you know, religious again. Um, and that was very important to me. And I started making connections with other people that I kind of lost track with in med school just to see how they're doing. And just having conversations with them was very helpful. So those little things helped me. And then that in turn helped me improve my relationship with my wife. We started setting date nights, having going out. We started making plans for like three-day trips. Um, you know, Rochester, New York is very close to Toronto. And so we started making three-day trips to Toronto. Little things like that, just connecting back with some of the people, connecting back with my physical well-being, my emotional well-being, and my essentially my, my uh, mind well-being, like just making sure religiously I was getting better too. So all those things I think are very key. Yeah, you, you bring up a, a very good point there that, you know, going back to the things that you loved before you were a physician. And um, I am an interviewer for incoming medical students uh, that have applied to MSUCOM. Um, as well as a mentor for uh, first and second year students. And one of the questions that I always ask them, and I'm like, you know, before you got into medical school, what did you love? What were the activities that you did? You know, whether it's tennis or singing or playing the piano, don't wait 20 years to enjoy them again. Find time every day or every week to continue practicing that because I think that speaks right to, to what you said that that maintains your your personal well being. I think that's a great point, and I will tell you, Doctor Young, I do that now. So during this pandemic that hit March of last year, um, I think we've seen one of the most cases of uh, COVIDs in the state of Michigan. Actually, some of the most in the country. You know, we have we've admitted and discharged over 2000 at my hospital since last year. Um, unfortunately that does not include uh, the amount of deaths we've had. And that also does not include the 5,000 patients that we've seen at the drive through. So all in all, we've taken care of close to seven to 8,000 patients. And I can tell you, this was very taxing on, uh, you know, not only me, but my staff. And I even told my staff to start going back to some of your hobbies. You know, we would, when we, <laughs> I'll never forget the day when we were outside in the curbside. I was with some nurses 
and I had a jump rope in my car and there was like a, like a half hour, like lull. So we just started jump roping just to get a little workout. And it was crazy, but little things like that. I even went back to collecting football and basketball cards this last year, just because it's very hot right now. And I love, you know, that was the thing I used to love. It used to get my mind distracted. Not only that, but now my son who loves basketball is like enjoying little things like that with me. So it's very important and it just gets your mind off things and it gets you back to where you were. I wish I would have done that in med school. My whole focus was just study, 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 and, you know, do well. I wish I had gone back and done some of those hobbies that I gave up because I'm very confident. As a matter of fact, I'm sure I would have done better in med school had I had those. And, um, you know, I really admire the people that I was in class with that did not only did that, but they had, they had kids and, you know, they didn't sacrifice vacations. And these were, you know, I'm like, how can you guys go on vacation? That's insane. You know, we have a big exam in two weeks. Those, those same people that went on vacation did phenomenal in med school. You know, some of the best, uh, students that we had so it's very important to keep your hobbies it's very important to keep uh you know those date nights those time times with your kids don't miss your kids recital if you can don't miss your kids soccer game you know those are things you know I didn't have kids at the time but you know going back I wish I would have not given up so many of the hobbies that I did. Dr. Schmidt, do you think that if you did continue your hobbies through medical school um, and residency and so on, that you would have had that same experience as an attending? You mean like not burning out? Correct. I don't know because, you know, I, I think, um, I think it would have definitely helped me physically be better for sure. Because what I, well, some of the stuff I gave up was, you know, working out and eating right. So that, that hurt me. So I think physical well-being has such an important part of your mental well-being. I really, I'm a firm believer in that. So I think it would have helped. I certainly think I would have filled up, uh, recognized the signs better. I think of like maybe, you know, those date nights or spending time and getting, you know, connecting religiously would have helped. So I do think it would have helped me grieve better during my dad's process. I think it would have helped me um, understand some of the symptoms I was dealing with at that time. Do I question if I would have completely burnt out? Uh, it's tough to say because it's, you know, it was such a difficult time in my life. I definitely think it would have helped um, for sure. But part of my problem was my work schedule was so intense at the time. I mean, I was doing like seven nights in a row. I really was. And when you don't see your loved one for seven days in a row and uh, all you're doing is drinking soda and chips and eating chips all day, it becomes an issue, right? So, and you regret, I remember this, this was a big telltale sign. I regretted waking up and going to work. I really did. And that was, I realized now that, that was uh, another sign that I wish I would have picked up on. It's a tough question you ask, because I, I, I don't mean to bounce around it. It's just, uh, I think it would have helped for sure. I can't convince myself that it would prevent me from completely burning out. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was going to be a, an easy question, but, you know, we still have, you know, students and residents come back um, kind of with some of the same sentiments that you say. It's like, no, I got to be, I got to do the best. I, I can't take a night off I, and, and whatnot. And just trying to instill in them that, that your personal well-being um, matters. And, you know, there, there's so much literature about about burnout and resiliency and things like that. Like one, one of the points, recent, recent data says that despite physicians being resilient, which physicians are very resilient, 
that we're still experiencing burnout. And so then the question comes, is it more of a system issue? Is the, is the health system the problem or is it an individual issue? And um, I think I was trying to get at, get at that point. Well, so, you know, I'm gonna get a little political here and I, I hope that doesn't bother anybody, but I think something needs to be said about the healthcare system in this country. I think absolutely that there is some part in a system and how we practice medicine, whether you're ER or internal medicine or whatever that is impacting physicians. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually include not only physicians, but nursing, physician assistants, um, you know, pharmacists. And now, you know, we see, we see burnout early as residency in medical students now. I'm sure Dr. Young, you may have witnessed that. So this is a system issue, okay, that affects the individual. And, you know, burnout itself is, somewhat of a misleading term, to be honest with you, because it's almost a stigma, like it's your fault, you know, and there's a lot more to it than that. You know, physicians are constantly being asked to do more and more with less and less time, but still provide the same amount of quality, same amount of energy. And it's just not the way to do things. You know, you're adding for me personally, to add continuous documentation to a patient's chart when it's obvious, because, you know, Medicare, Medicaid wants certain charting or certain things to be done in a certain way, even though they're not there taking care of the patient, you know, that is adding to our problems in healthcare. And it's not only affecting, as I mentioned, doctors, but nurses, you know, there's, got, there's not a lot of study on nursing burnout. It's starting to, you'll see it now, but nurses are, you know, constantly being changing professions because you know they're not in my opinion nurses are never properly compensated for and this was never more apparent than the pandemic and you know that is hurting the health systems you know you look at it now there's i think last study showed that like the, there's a severe national nursing shortage in this country and someone has to ask themselves why is that is it is it just because of the pandemic absolutely not this was going on before that you know, nurses are realizing that, you know, this is burning out um, and it's not maybe not worth the rate that they're, you know, used to seeing on the advertisements. When we talk about physicians, you know, physicians are constantly being asked to do more and more on a daily basis to a point where they're giving up. You know, the EMR, although I think overall it's the right thing to do, but we're pushing physicians to chart more and more where they're staying over their shifts to get these charts done. Which, well, what does that mean? Well, it means less time to go home and spend it with your family. Maybe you're going to miss that recital with, that your daughter was so looking forward to you to be at. Maybe you're not going to go do that hobby that you had planned, whether it's basketball or working out or your yoga lesson. Maybe it's a date night that you miss with your wife. I mean, all these things played a role, you know? And now insurance companies are even making it harder because they're sending letters to doctors like this person doesn't qualify for this study, you need to have more documentation. So there is a big system component and we as a group need to stand up and either do something about it or, or, or we can just let it be. But I can tell you the way that it is now is not set up for success. And if you don't believe me, you can just look at the numbers, the, nur the nursing shortage I, I just mentioned, but look at the physician burnout. And you know, I hope that I, this pandemic has been horrific for everybody. And it's going to cause burnout for sure, right? We already know. We don't know the long-term effects. It's only been a year. 
but it's going to cause physicians to burn out if it already has it some. It's kind of called, I already know it's called nursing burnout. But this was going on before the pandemic. The systems can't use the pandemic as an excuse for the burnout. This was happening long before. And we as a group, whether society or whatever, need to recognize that we can't be asked to do more with less time, less compensation, and to sacrifice away from our individual selves. Dr. Schmidt, thank you for bringing that up about the, the burnout of other healthcare professionals. You know, there, we have a lot of data on physician burnout, but why we have that much data is because physicians normally stay at the same health system and we can track it. What happens with other healthcare professionals is they just go to a different health system. And so, you know, they, they change jobs and that's not looked at as, oh, they change jobs because of, of burnout or or anything like that, but but that's if we look into the the nursing data or even uh, pharmacist, social work, anything like that, it's they just change places of employment. It's, it's about like an every three to five year cycle that that nurses move around either to different departments, to different health systems, or or even leaving um, the profession totally. So I, I I applaud you for for including the other healthcare professionals um, in this discussion as well. Let's uh, uh, change paths for a minute. So you are now in the role of teaching residents and I'm, and I'm sure students as well. Um, what do you do to instill components of wellness and well-being into your residents? Well, that's a great question. You know, I, I'm a little bit, I'm big on intuitive because of my personal experience. So the biggest thing is, you know, giving them feedback on a daily basis, I think is very helpful if you can. And, you know, for me, recognizing the signs, you know, I'm pretty good at recognizing signs because I've been through it myself. So as leaders or teachers um, of students and residents, I think it's important to recognize those signs or know what they are. You know, we talk about things like, you know, cynicism, um, lack of compassion, desperation, overworked, you know, disruptive behaviors from residents and students. These are signs that we got to really look out for. So when I instill wellness, I, I'm not really, you know, giving a kumbaya speech every day. But what I am doing is looking out for those signs. And I think rounding on your team is very important. You know, when I leave the department, I try to make it a point to go in through the ER just to say hi to everybody and see what they need, talk to the residents. You become friends with these folks. And then so they could just give you like a answer, like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then maybe one day you're rounding and it's like you're, you know, 10th thing you know, rounding and they say, eh, whatever. You know, that could be a sign like, hey, you know, something is bothering that person. So what I look out for in Harai and still wellness is making sure I look for those signs. The other thing we do in our residency personally is, so most ACGME residencies now require wellness days. So I think it's like two or three a year where they have to have a day off and make sure that they're, you know, they're doing something. You know, I'm not a big proponent, and I know this is not a, maybe a popular city system with ACGME, but I don't want my day off to be something that the health system is mandating us to do, like listen to a lecture on burnout, okay, right? People are getting burned out of burnout lectures. I want residents to have their own time, come up with a plan, what they want to do as a team, as a group, that they want to have fun. So last year, during the pandemic, when it was a little bit calm, we had a softball game when it was safe. Okay, so we had a soft that that was really 
something that really made the morale better. And we actually included the nurses. So we played residents versus nurses. What that did was it helped create a good work environment because what I didn't realize, and I did this with New York when I started a softball team, is it connected nurses to residents who may not know each other, or maybe they were afraid to approach them for whatever reason, or maybe they just never met them. Then you realize the next day at work, they talk about, you know, that softball game, you know, that they were joking around having fun. And also a little easier now to approach them about a patient or more comfortable. And that creates a better work environment. So I try to do things like that. You know, our wellness day, I want to make sure they're out of the hospital. They're not doing anything remotely educational at all. Just go relax with your colleagues and your attendings. And we include the attendings if they want to join. And, you know, we did, um, last year they had an ax throwing thing where they went to throw some axes and a, a golf range where they do indoor virtual golfing. You know, this was in the wintertime. You know, there's arcades, things that we went to. So there's little ideas that we do all the time. And then we try to throw an extra too, like sometimes docs, we haven't done it so much because of the pandemic, but docs will have journal clubs at their house in a relaxing atmosphere. We'll try to have journal club at a restaurant. But the biggest thing is just making sure that you keep in touch with them, text them and look out for each other. And our residents are, we try to instill a family atmosphere as soon as they arrive. So they know that they can call me or anybody else at uh, all the chiefs at any given time. And we have had issues with attendings that aren't at, re at receptive with residents. And those attendings are no longer uh, working with us. So we really take what the residents say to heart and we appreciate their feedback. And, you know, in, a, in some way, I'm, I guess I'm getting older now, in some way they're like my kids because I want to make sure they succeed. Every teacher should have the approach that, especially in medical profession, that we want to teach these guys to be better than we are currently. And I want my residents to graduate knowing that they can work in any ER in the country, um, whether it's a small ER or big ER. And they're never going to get there if their mental and physical well-being is not there. And so we preach that um, pretty frequently. I'm so glad that you brought up that about the, the team approach of all the faculty um, leading this kind of charge of in, ensuring wellness and that, you know, if, if some of your attendings or faculty were not receptive to this component that, you know, they, they're no longer faculty. But we also have individual faculties that may take residents or, or students that aren't part of like an entire department. And so those individual faculties, um, we still want them to be able to support this movement to wellness. Um, you brought up some key tips, uh, you know, feedback daily, recognizing some signs, rounding, you know, on your team, and, and not just the, the residents and, and students, but also your staff and, and your nurses. Is there some key tips for single faculty members on creating a culture of wellness? You know, it's tough because, um, so I have a big residency. I had, there's a lot of moving parts. So, I, and I, I really count on my other colleagues, attendings and faculty to, to, you know, eyes and ears, right? So that helps me. Like if I get a call from an attending, you know, the next day, hey, listen, this resident had a tough shift. You might want to check with them. That, you know, 
we, we do that. Um, you know, with, with, when you have single faculty, it's a little tougher, but just rounding on them or sending up a, even like a cup of coffee on a, like a quarterly or basis, I think helps, whether it's quarterly, whether it's monthly, providing feedback, you know, little things like just doing something outside the box, like it doesn't have to be medical. Just sometimes the best mentors are the ones that aren't something they're really mentoring you on a specific subject, but rather they get to know you personally and then you're more excited to learn from them. So if you can create that type of atmosphere and it's, you, you kind of have to know a little bit of personality of the residents you're dealing with. And that's sometimes in the beginning, very difficult, but to create like a, that type of atmosphere, I think is the most beneficial because you got to get the resident more comfortable to approach you. Cause as you stated at the beginning of this uh, podcast, and you said it very well, there's a stigma that kind of comes with like, Hey, we're supposed to be the ones that people come to. Right. And as young physicians learning, they kind of want to start learning that right away. Like I want people to come to me, but I don't want to show weakness. Right. So we got to somehow break that stereotype where it's okay. So it's okay for residents to come and speak up. And that's tough to do. You got to create that atmosphere where, you know, or establish that, Hey, you know what, come to me if you have any issues. Everyone is a little different. I don't have a specific way, but I can tell you what works in our department is start peaking that from the start, follow up on them, call them out of the blue or text them out of the blue or email out of the blue. And, you know, hey, I'm going out to, you know, grab a cup of coffee. You want to join me? We can talk about whatever. Those are the things I think will help establish that, you know, comfortable feeling where they can come to you for anything. And I think that's very important to start in the very beginning. I agree 100%. And just to, to close out what, what you said earlier about burnout as a stigma, and it, it's definitely a system issue. I think that's why we've changed to that quadruple aim with that fourth component being physician wellness, because we know that we cannot provide the best care to patients if we are not well. How are, how are we doing? Are, are we making progress? Are, are we with, with all, all of the things that we're, we're doing um, with the ACGME requirements uh, of wellness days, are, are we seeing improvement? You know, I, I, the one thing I will tell you that's different than when I had, so now, you know, I'm really dating myself. So when my burnout happened, and we're talking 2011, so we're talking 10 years ago, it was, it was frowned upon to even talk about burnout or even, you know, the signs that I mentioned earlier, you didn't even know, I didn't even know those, you know, I, I had no idea. Now, I think the one thing the ACGME has done that's well is they recognize that this is an issue, whether it's a system issue, an individual issue is their, their debate. I have my answers and they can have theirs. But I think what needs to be done is, you know, and continuously needs to be done is that there, this is a problem. So that has become a little better. They know that this is an issue. I think they now recognize that, hey, this is not just a doctor issue, that this is now a resident issue and a medical student issue. You know, we have, unfortunately, in our own health systems, we had a couple of suicides before the pandemic that were residents. And one is too many, right? So we need to continue to show and support that, that not only that this is a problem, but also come up with solutions. You can have a problem and you can recognize the problem. What are you doing to, to, to solve it? So I think ACGM has done a nice job of recognizing it's a problem. I'm not sure that 
all the solution is there yet. You know, having wellness days mandated and just those, and then having those days be something to teach about burnout is okay, but you got to give students and residents like time off to do something themselves. And, you know, you got to establish a friendly atmosphere. So I think all those things playing a part. I think it's definitely better to answer your question. It's not where we need it to be though. And I think you're gonna find out more and more um, people are gonna be hurting from the pandemic and people are gonna be burnt out. And I think really what's gonna really be paramount is the amount of nurses that have suffered from this as well. Because I don't wanna forget about them because these are nurses that sometimes become nurse practitioners. Sometimes they go on to become PAs. Sometimes they even go on to become physicians. Um, you know, and now nurses are great leaders of the health systems around this country too. So there's a potential leader out there that we don't want to burn out. So we got to come up with better solutions to prevent that. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous, but anxious to see some of the studies that come up from this pandemic on, on burnout. I, I am with you as well, and I, I can attest to our commitment at the statewide campus system that, that wellness will be a big component of, of our educational um, offerings going forward. Uh, so for those that are listening, monthly look for our uh, monthly wellness integration newsletter that will have tips and tricks to integrate wellness into your programs, into your personal life. And also June 4th um, is our personal wellness renewal retreat that in the past we've talked about how to integrate wellness into your program. This one is integrating wellness into yourself. Again, recognizing that you as a faculty and a resident as, as a person needs to be well in order to help wellness in others. Um, so those, those are a couple things coming up. Dr. Shamoon, um, Thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, and, and I'm sure those that are listening and that will listen to the recording will learn something from it and that it really shows a sign of strength to be able to uh, reach out um, and, and recognize and, and, and get help. Um, so thank you for that. And thank you everybody for uh, listening in today. <laughs>